Well, good morning, good morning, and how's everybody doing today? You doing well on Super Bowl Sunday? Good, good. Well, my name is Dylan Johnston, and I'm the youth pastor here at Life Church, and it is so good to be here today. It's awesome to be to be worshiping with you. Um, uh, today is is an awesome day for me, uh, particularly because I. I'm speaking here today. My brother is, is speaking over at our Brookfield campus. My dad is a pastor in, in Texas, and he's speaking this morning as well. And so it's just a really, really cool opportunity for, for me and my family. And, um, and, and I also wanted to note and just take a moment. This morning, our lead pastor, Pastor Aaron, is at another church sharing his heart and the heart of this church um, with them and their family and their church, all about missions. And I, I know if you've attended Life Church for any period of time, you probably know um, that one of the heartbeats of this church, of this group of people, uh, of you, uh, and of our pastor is missions. And so it's a great opportunity, our pastor's getting to share uh, that with another church this morning. And so could we just take a moment and honor our pastor, Pastor Aaron, and his wife, Miss Tammy. I don't know about you, but I am very grateful to have their leadership here at Life Church. as I know that an organization goes the direction of their leadership. In fact, this morning we're going to be talking about leadership. Um, the, we've been in a series for the past several weeks called Invisible Matters. Invisible Matters. And uh, we've been discussing different things in our lives that while may, many people may not see us putting them into action... Many people may not see us actually putting them in um, to, to habits and, and the laying the foundation and the groundwork. They actually make a huge difference in who we are and how we live. And, and we've talked about many things over the course of this last month. And today we're going to conclude that series talking about leadership. I've learned this in my life. Everybody leads somebody. Do you know that? Everybody's leading somebody, whether you know it or not, whether you think you're a leader or not, whether you would rather just remain in the background or, or introvert your way through the rest of your life. Everybody's leading somebody. And if you don't believe me, I think parents probably have the best understanding of this. Because whether you know it or not, your children are watching and your children are listening. You'll find this very early on in their lives when you slip and drop something or you, you, you stub your toe and you let out a word or a phrase that it may not be the worst thing in the world. Come on, we're in church. It may not be the worst thing in the world, uh, but, but it's definitely not something you want your kid going to school the next day repeating. But for some reason, that's the only thing they catch on to. And they begin to repeat it moment after moment. You have family come over later in the day and they're repeating the word and the phrase you just said to the family. And it's like, no, stop doing what I'm doing. And what you don't realize is everyone's leading somebody, whether you know it or not, whether you see them watching or not, we're all leading. And so the question is, how are you leading? In fact, I've learned that we're all leading others, but we're also all leading ourselves. And I found in my life that perhaps the most difficult person in my entire life to lead is me. It's not, it's not the students that I work with during the middle of the week on Monday nights and Wednesday nights and the students in Milwaukee and the students in Brookfield and the students here and the students in Appleton. It's, it's not my team members that, that serve with us. It's, it's, it's not leading. It's leading me. And, and here's why I think that it's most difficult to lead yourself. Because you know your issues and you know how to cover them up. Here's what I mean. Um, 
It's easy for me at the beginning of the year when all of us decide we're going to lose weight mutually and together, right? That's our New Year's resolution. We're all going to lose weight. We're all going to get fit. We're all going to get in the gym. We're all going to work out. It's easy for me to give you advice on what to do. You got to wake up at this time. You got to go to the gym. You need to do fasted cardio. You need to eat this amount of macros. You need to make sure that you're doing this, 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 and this three times a week and then focus on these other things. Have you ever noticed that when you're trying to get fit, everybody has advice for you? Even people that shouldn't be having advice have advice for you. <laughs> like, you know they haven't implemented these practices in their life, but for some reason they want, I'm, I'm getting off track. I've learned it's a lot easier for me to tell someone else all of that stuff than to actually wake myself up at 5 a.m. and go to the gym before I go to work. I've learned in my life that it's a lot easier for me to tell someone else to eat healthy, to avoid fried foods, stop eating all the chicken, uh, eat more vegetables, eat clean, all of this stuff, than it is for me on a Monday night when I'm headed home from Brookfield Youth Group and I'm passing by Dairy Queen and I see in my app that there's buy one, get one, 99 cent Dairy Queen blizzards. And I'm like, come on. And I pull in there and my wife is like, but I don't even want one. I was like, okay, I got two. That's fine. Uh, it's a lot easier for me to tell our students and to tell you, hey, don't procrastinate. Don't put off your work. Come on, you can get it done ahead of time. If you plan correctly, then, then you can actually achieve it in a better fashion than if you were to put it off. And then I look back and I remember how I functioned in college and I would put papers off to the very last second and at midnight I would seclude myself off in the dorm and I would start writing the paper and I'd finish somewhere around 5 or 6 a.m. and then I'd go straight to my professor and turn in the paper. Like I, I get it. It's a lot easier to lead other people than it is to lead yourself. And it's this kind of construct that I want us to discuss this morning of self-leadership. Leo Tolstoy says this, Everyone wants to change the world, but nobody wants to change himself. We all want to make a, a big difference. We all want to change the world. We all want to, to, to leave a lasting impact. But the question is, do you want to change you? And there's a story in Matthew chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. There's a story in Matthew chapter 8 that describes a man who has self-leadership at a degree that few actually have, that I believe if we will allow his story to, it will impact our lives this day and forevermore as we put into practice those things that we see today. So Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 5, uh, it says this, When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. And I say to, I, and I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. And then in verse 13, it says, then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. You see, the gospel, the good news, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they, they really only record two occasions where Jesus was amazed. If, if you don't know this, this is, this is incredible to me. There's only two occasions where we see Jesus is amazed at people or amazed at all. One time is in Mark chapter 6 where Jesus is preaching in his hometown in Nazareth, and he's, he's talking there, and, and Scripture says he was amazed at their lack of faith. 
The only other time we see that Jesus was amazed was here in this passage in Matthew chapter 8. It says that Jesus was amazed, and this time in a good way, at the faith that this Roman soldier had. Verse 9, the centurion kind of gives us an insight as to why he had faith. You see, I find it interesting because the Romans were not known to be Christ followers at this time. And so it's not like he probably grew up in a God-fearing household. It's not that there's a legacy of following God in his life. But rather, there was a faith that he had in God. Not because he was taught to have that faith, but because he understood the concept of authority. Ooh, it's, not just, it's not just something parents passed down to him. No, no, no. He understood this aspect of authority, that he had authority, and that, there were people, and that there were people over him that had authority over him. And so that if he would go to Jesus, this man who seemed to have authority over all sorts of things, then his life could be radically changed and the servant could be healed. Verse 9 kind of gives us a foundation for today's message. The centurion says this, For I myself... I'm a man under authority with soldiers under me. I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me, which gives us this principle, be a person of authority under authority. You've probably heard it before, be a person of authority under authority. And the centurion set his life up this way. If you don't know what a centurion is, it's a soldier in the Roman army that was uh, a commander over, over about a hundred different soldiers. They all reported directly to him, and then he reported upward. There was a chain of command. And so he had this role where he was in charge of a hundred employees. Now, I don't know about you, I don't have a hundred employees. And so this man had a leadership role. He had authority. He understood this process. And yet at the same time, he reported upward to others who had authority over him. And that's what led him to go to Jesus. You see, a lot of us like this idea of being of authority. We like being in control. We like having the say. We like the one making the decisions. We like being in charge. We like being in the driver's seat. I know how some of you get when you're in the passenger seat. I do not want you in my car. I, 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 we, all, we all like to be of authority, but very, very few of us like to be under authority. You, you want to know why we don't like to be under authority? Because under authority requires submission. And submission is not necessarily a fun topic because submission means laying down your wants, your wills, your desires to take upon yourself someone else's wants, someone else's wills, and someone else's desires. It's, it's saying, not my will, but your will be done. It's, it's saying, yeah, 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 I know I've got plans, I know I've got dreams, I know I've got hopes, I know I've got a vision for my future, but, but at the end of the day, it's, it's not necessarily what I want, it's what you want. And I get that this can seem counterintuitive when we're talking about self-leadership, but when we're, what I want you to understand, what I want you to get, what I want you to catch today is that self-leadership and submission actually go hand in hand. They're not mutually exclusive, they're not separate entities, but rather they go hand in hand. In fact, the Bible is very, very clear multiple times over that we are to, to live a life of submission. It's not a bad thing in scripture, it's actually a good thing. It says in James chapter 4 that to uh, resist the devil and submit to God. In Hebrews chapter 13, it says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to authority. Ephesians chapter 5 calls husbands and wives to mutually submit to one another. You see, biblically, submit, biblically submission is not a bad thing. Rather, there's this amazing divine process that takes place when we submit. Biblically, submission is not a bad thing, but rather there's a divine process that takes place when we submit. And from the example of the centurion, I, I believe today we can pull two key ingredients as to what comprises a good life of submission. And so first and foremost, submission requires self-awareness. 
Submission requires self-awareness. That's the ability to acknowledge and understand one's values, perspective, strengths, weaknesses, and leadership and emotional needs. You see, you can't submit if you're unaware of your inadequacies. You, you can't submit if you don't know where you're missing the mark. You, you can't submit if you don't get what you cannot do. The centurion, he got it. He, he recognized his servant was ill. I would imagine having the authority he did, he probably brought in people to see if they could, could, could bring healing to the servant. He probably brought in doctors. He probably did everything he could. He ran the diagnostics, and at the end of the test, there was nothing that in his power he could do, and so he knew he had to seek help. I wonder when you come to the end of yourself, when you realize that there's nothing you can do, when you are in those moments, what do you do? You see, this centurion had self-awareness to recognize that he was incapable of bringing about healing for his servant. In her book, Insight, organizational psychologist Tasha Yurik found that 95% of people believe that they're self-aware. That means just about everybody in this room, if we were to take a poll and say, hey, are you self-aware? Just about every single hand in this room would go up except for a few. But then she goes on to describe that only about 10 to 15% of people actually are. Meaning, meaning, friends, most of us are wrong. <laughs> We're all in the same boat here. There's only about a tenth of us that actually got this thing under control, and we'll, like, put those people in a corner somewhere, and they can have their own little church service. But the rest of us who aren't self-aware, come on, I'm right there with you. I get it. There's things I look over. There's things I overlook. There's things I don't know about. There's things that I don't understand. There's things I'm not catching. There's things I need help with. And I think that the discrepancy between people that believe they're self-aware and people that actually are self-aware, it boils down to this common issue with all of humanity called pride. And pride is the belief, pride is the belief that we are better than we actually think we are. You see, what self-awareness does is it reveals our inadequacies, but pride overlooks those inadequacies and points to unrelated successes. You ever know someone like this? You go to them saying, hey, 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 you're missing the mark here. And their reply is something along the lines of, no, 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 I get it. I, I, I understand I may be missing, but did you see over here what I did? Or like your kids, you tell them to clean the room and, and the, you go to them three days later and, and you say, hey, you didn't clean your room. I know you probably go a little bit more angry than that. I'm not a parent just yet, so I don't know how this all works. But you're like, hey, you didn't clean your room. You're grounded. And they're like, but mom, but dad, I did my homework. That's not what I asked. You're missing the mark. You're relying on your pride to point to unrelated successes rather than allowing yourself to be aware of where you're missing the mark. You see, self-awareness is a key ingredient if we are ever going to submit. The Romans road is, is what uh, for, for many, many decades has been used to give a, a basic understanding of the process of salvation in Christianity, in the Christian faith. And, and what it does is just rock, walk through different verses in the book of Romans that allow us to understand our need for a savior. And the very first verse included in that, that the scholars that comprised the Romans road included was Romans chapter three, verse 23, that says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The very first step in coming to Jesus is self-awareness. 
that we are all messed up, imperfect. We've all aimed at the target of perfection and we've all missed. We've all tried to be perfect. We've all messed up. If I were to ask your spouses today, is your spouse perfect? And everyone would say no, except for the one husband that's trying to dig himself out of a hole he's been in for three weeks now. Like we'd all, we'd, we all admit we're imperfect beings. We're imperfect people. And the very first step in coming to Jesus is recognizing that concept. You see, this centurion in this story, he did something that was amazing to me. When he came to Jesus asking for help, first of all, he recognized his need for help. That's self-awareness. But then he didn't go to pride. He rather humbled himself. He asked Jesus to come to heal his servant. And Jesus said, okay, should I come to your house and do this? And the centurion replied, no, 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 no. I don't even deserve to have you to come to my house. Now, I don't know if you get that. I don't know if that catches with you. I don't know if that rings a bell in your life. But for me personally, when that centurion who had authority, when he said, no, 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 that's not what this is about, it blew my mind. Do you know how many people back in this day would have loved for Jesus just to come into their house? This is like having a celebrity show up and you see them in public and you're like, hey, I, I, I would love it if you could just take a picture with me. And they're like, yeah, I could actually come over for lunch. No, 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 I don't need that. I don't deserve that. You, you have a much, you, much more important, important things to do. I just, I just need a picture. Do you understand that this man humbled himself to such a degree to, real, to, to make it not about himself in this moment, but all about the servant? For practical purposes, I think self-awareness can boil down to two statements. And those two statements are are very, very simple. It's, I know who I am, and I know who I am not. I know who I am, and I know who I am not. And I know right off the bat, you're all like, of course, I know who I am. My name is this. I live at this address. I have this many kids. This is my family. I do this for a job. No, 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 no. Listen, uh, yes, this is simple, but I know who I'm not. We, We wouldn't have shows like American Idol if people all knew who they were and who they weren't. We wouldn't have like three amazing weeks of people trying to make the show, dressing up in all that they dress up in, only to be turned down because they can't sing worth the lick, even though they've been told all their lives they're amazing. No, 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 like, listen, we, we, we don't know who we are and who we're not. We don't. We can say we do, but shows like that prove we don't have an understanding. Listen, I know I am not a singer, Okay. Like, uh, if, uh, at best, I have a choir voice. If you don't know what a choir voice is, it's like a voice that you can blend in a little bit, but you never want them singing a solo. That's pretty much me. Like, I know I'm not a singer. I tried singing once. I was in theatrical plays and musicals. I tried doing the whole thing. Uh, I, I was on my youth worship team for a year in my senior year of high school, and I looked back and I watched a video a few weeks ago and I realized, no, 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 I'm so sorry to all those people that had, but like, you're welcome because I know I'm not a singer and so I'm not begging Pastor No, I'm not begging Pastor Nando to let me on the stage just sing. I know that's not what you want to hear and I know it's not what I need to do. I know I am not a singer. I also know I'm not an athlete. I figured this out really early on. I, I remember being in middle school uh, and playing football and being on the football field and, and practice and seeing uh, all these other guys that were much more athletic, much stronger, much faster, much quicker, that, that understood this game of football in a way that I just didn't. And I enjoyed it. 
I had fun. I, I, I played through my ninth grade year, and then I realized I don't want to be a practice dummy for varsity to tackle on uh, my junior and senior year and never get to see the field on Friday Night Lights, so I quit because I know I'm not an athlete. Can I still go work out? Sure. Can I sing in the shower? Of course. But I am not those things. And yet if we begin to dig deeper, I think it gets a little more dicey for us. I know who I am. I know who God has called me to be. I know who he, who he created me to be. But also I know who I'm not. And I, I think as we begin to walk through those statements in our lives, it will help shape our self-awareness to such a degree that no one and nothing can veer us off course because we know who we are. We know whose we are. And we know what we're not. Are you self-aware today? M maybe you think you are. I would encourage you, go to a family member a trusted loved one, one that's not going to pull any punches, one that's not afraid to make you cry a little bit, and ask them where you're missing the mark. Because the centurion was willing to ask for help. The question is, are we? The second thing submission requires is self-management. Submission requires self-management. That's the ability to nurture and harness one's passions, abilities, and emotions in decision-making. Listen, you can't submit if you don't choose to move from your weakness to actually get help. Submit, uh, self-management, I, I say it like this, self-management is putting self-awareness into action. Self-management is putting self-awareness into action. This centurion did that so perfectly. He recognized his need for help, immediately went and got help. He recognized that he couldn't do it on his own, so he went and found someone that he heard stories of, he heard rumors of, and he knew could actually bring about healing for his servant. An article on Forbes titled Self-Leadership and Success talks about what comprises self-management. And they stated that self-management is directly connected to our self-talk. Self-talk shapes our relationship to ourselves, it says. It is also our way of managing ourselves. All too often, our self-talk is filled with frustration. Of course, none of us would want to hear such things from a supervisor. Exposed to that verbal abuse and negativity daily, we would quickly disengage from the workplace and start to look for new employment. But what if we are our own bosses? The result is not so different. We disengage. You see, your self-talk, that which you're talking to yourself about, those, those things that you're constantly talking to yourself about, the way you degrade yourself, the way you speak to yourself, the way you encourage yourself, all of that is what self-management really boils down to. For the centurion, I can only imagine that there was a self-talk. We don't have it recorded in scripture, but I can only imagine that there was this thought that, that constantly replayed in his mind, if I can just get to Jesus, all of this can be fixed. If I can just get to Jesus, all of this will be healed. If I can just get to Jesus, there will be resolve in this problem. I wonder what your self-talk looks like. I wonder what during the week as you go through problems, as you're hit, hit in the face with issues, as you begin to struggle with certain things, as your family may be on the fritz and you're wondering if your marriage is going to hang on. I wonder how your self-talk looks. For it's, it's not one that as you constantly pull yourself down that will actually improve the situation, but rather, I wonder, does your self-talk lead you closer to Jesus? Does your self-talk produce hope within you and hope within others? Does your self-talk, whether or not it will actually bring solution to the problem at hand, does your self-talk bring you to keep moving forward? As, as it says in the Psalms, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, do you fear evil? Because the psalmist says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. 
You see, self-talk is important because it lays the foundation for how we approach situations. And David exemplified self-management in the midst of distress in such a beautiful fashion back in the Old Testament. I just want to quickly read one passage and we'll start to close. David and his men happen upon their camp, happen upon their city. And the Amalekites, another group of people, had come and raided their town and taken all of their wives and children. There was nothing left. And David and his men happen upon this area and they see all the destruction and they see that their families are gone. And it begins in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. It says, David was greatly distressed because the men that were his, his own men, were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters, but David found strength in the Lord his God. But David found strength in the Lord his God. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know your situation, but I encourage you, find strength in the Lord your God because David found strength in the Lord his God at the brink of him being stoned by his own men. At, uh, in the moment he just realized he had lost his, his family, in the moment he just realized his men had lost everything, but David found strength in the Lord his God, which allows me to say this, don't let your problems dictate dictate your praise. Don't let your situation dictate where your eyes will be fixed. Don't let that which is around you uh, determine how you will walk out your day and manage yourself. Because David found strength in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. And Abiathar brought it to him and David inquired of the Lord. Shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? I wonder in our most difficult times, in the times we're struggling, in the times we're trying to manage ourselves well, in the times we're trying to lead ourselves and lead others, where do you find your strength? Where do you find your strength? You see, I, I finished a book last night. I, I've I've tried to turn into a reader at the beginning of this year, as probably a lot of us have. We all set a goal to read books, and then none of us read books until, like, December. Uh, so I've tried to be a reader this year. And uh, I finished a book last night as I was getting ready to go to sleep. And the book is from one of my favorite athletes of all time. And um, he, he wrote this, What separates great players from all-time great players is the ability to self-assess, diagnose weaknesses, and turn those flaws into strength. What separates great players, ones that will be remembered, from ones that will be at the top of everyone's top 10 list are the ones that are able to recognize their weaknesses and turn those flaws into strength. You see, in our faith, it's, it's right along that same line. In, in our faith journey of following Jesus, it's kind of the same thing. You see, because in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and I love how, the, how, how Paul writes this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes that God spoke to him saying, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect 
in your weakness. You see, this whole talk is not just about you recognizing that you're a failure, because we all technically are, but this whole talk is recognizing that you on your own cannot do it, but there is one that can. You on your own, you don't have the strength, but there is one that does. You on your own, you have weaknesses, but there's one that brings strength in the midst of those weaknesses. You on your own don't have all the answers, but there's one that brings those answers in the midst of your troubled times. You on your own cannot do it. So I encourage you, lean on the one who can. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. If you're ever going to see your vision come to fruition, it takes first and foremost, submission. If you're ever going to see your vision come to fruition, it takes you, submit, you submitting to God. Three, three quick things and then, then we're done today. And this is just a practical way you can put this whole thing into action. Um, as you're going about your life and you're trying to figure out how do I manage myself well, how, how do I lead myself well in the midst of all the talk, in the midst of all the noise, in the midst of everything that's going on? How do I lead myself? Here, here's how you do it. First, you have to picture. Second, you have to plan. Third, you have to prioritize. First, you have to picture. Second, you have to plan. Third, you have to prioritize. Picture is how. All right, the picture is what. The centurion sought healing for his servant. That's the what. I used to have a mentor that used to say this. He, he said, you have to see it before you see it if you're ever going to see it. And then I'd be like, what are you talking about? He said, you have to see it before you see it if you're ever going to see it. I'd say, what do you mean? He said, you'd have to see it before you see it if you're ever going to see it. And I began to catch on. I'm like, okay, I have to see it up here if I'm ever going to see it out here. I have to see it up here to see it actually come to fruition if I'm ever going to see it accomplished. He's like, you have to have a plan. You have to, or you, you, you have, to have a vision. You have to have this thing. You have to have a picture. You have to have something that you're aiming for. What are you aiming for in life? What is your goal this year? What are you desiring to accomplish? Second, you had to plan. The plan is the how. How are you going to get from point A to point B? The centurion, he's like, no, 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 I need to get help. I need someone to do this. How am I going to do this? I've heard rumors of a guy named Jesus. I'm going to go find him. I've heard stories of a man that, that heals the lame, heals the blind, raises the dead, multiplies food. Come on, somebody. I've, I've heard the stories. I've got to go find him. That's the how. What's your how? When you recognize that you need help, when you recognize the vision at hand, what's, how do you accomplish that? In our faith journey of following Jesus, the how is almost inevitably always submitting our weaknesses and allowing his strength to take over. The last thing was prioritize. Prioritize is really you determining your why. You determining why you're even on this journey in the first place. The centurion, again, depicts this so beautifully. He said, to Jesus, I do not even deserve to have you come into my house. This isn't about my clout. This isn't about my fame. This isn't about me getting a selfie with you and posting it on Instagram so that everyone can see I met Jesus, the Savior of the world. No, 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 no. This is only always forever about you, and I ask that you would do one thing for me, heal my servant. I don't need you to come to my house. I don't need to fix you food. Uh, we don't need to do any of that. My faith is so strong in you that right here in this moment, I believe you can say the word and there will be healing. And I wonder for us, what do we prioritize? As we're going about this life, what are we prioritizing? What are our, our, our eyes focused on? 
As the writer of Hebrews chapter 12 says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, whom for the joy set before him endured the race, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Where are you fixing your eyes? What's your picture? What's your goal? What's your end, end game here? For the centurion, it was to seek healing. For David, it was to seek God's hand. For you, what is it? Is it to seek God for your family? Is it to seek God for your job situation? Is it to seek God for this or for that? But in all of it, ultimately it boils down to will you submit? No one wants to be asked for help. And then when you give them the answer, they don't like the answer. No one wants to, to be asked to give insight into a situation and then be completely ignored once they actually give their insight. And in this life, if we're ever going to see what God has for us come to fruition, then we must live a life of submission. For those of you that have been following Jesus and on this faith journey for, for, for a while now, for many years for some of you, you know this is a daily process. That every time you wake up and your feet hit the floor, instead of that, you, you just go straight knees to the floor and you begin to pray and recognize your inadequacies, your fallacies, your failures. And then in the same breath, you recognize his amazing grace, his, his strength, his ability. Where you lack, he is not lacking. Where you are not good enough, he is more than good enough. Where, where you need help, he is the help. Where you are hopeless, he's the hope. Where, you, where, you, where it is dark and lonely, he is the light that brings comfort in those times. Those of you that have been in this journey recognize it's not just a one-time decision, but it's a daily decision to submit. And my encouragement and my challenge to you is to leave here today living a life of submission. Today, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't give you an opportunity, those of you in this room that maybe not be following Jesus, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't give you the opportunity to, to choose today to make that decision. So in just a moment, I'm gonna pray a prayer. And I'm gonna ask that every single person in this room repeats it after me. Why do we do that? We do that because uh, we don't wanna single anyone out, but we wanna give you the opportunity to make the decision to live a life of submission. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages, the price that we must pay because of that is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 10 then goes to, on to say how we may begin to have that salvation the Bible so clearly talks about. And it says, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, he shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God is who he says he is, and Jesus did all that he said he did, then you will be saved saved. And so today in this room you, and today online, you may be questioning this, this concept of faith and you may be wanting to take that first step. I, I want to lead you in a prayer to do that. And, and every single person will join together with you. Maybe you prayed this prayer a long time ago, but today there's a moment and a, and a, and a kind of a, an altar you're creating in your life that you can look back on and say, no, 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 that day, February 2nd, 2020 at Life Church in Germantown, I made the decision to follow Jesus. 
So we're gonna pray this prayer. I'm gonna ask that every single person repeat it after me. When we say amen, I'm gonna just pray for you so you may keep your head bowed. And then after that, Pastor Ryan will come and start wrapping things up today. Would you bow your heads with me and repeat after me? Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I recognize that I am not good enough to do this on my own. So I submit to you. I give you my life. I make you my Lord and I make you my Savior. And I choose this day to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. God, I ask for every single person in this room that you would speak to our hearts right now. That God, as we are prepping to go on our way this, this day and this week, I ask that you, would, uh, that you would so imprint upon our lives that which you have for us. That God, we would recognize that the things you created us for, we, we cannot achieve without your help and your ability. And so God, we today trust in you. We don't lean on what we can understand, but we lean on you. We, we ask that, that you would help us to be people who submit. Not ones who are filled with pride, not ones who are filled with self, not ones who are so focused on what we can and can't do, but God, that we would so be willing to submit, that we would take upon ourselves the likeness of Jesus and say, not my will, but your will be done in everything we do. Lord, we love you. We thank you. I pray a special blessing over each and every single family here today. I ask that your hand would be upon them, that you'd move in them, that you'd uh, continue to speak to them and grow them. Lord, we thank you. We give you all praise. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.